teenagers for two days yes i think we've both been feeling the uh build up of excessive teenage behavior perhaps <laughs> at the moment <laughs> how are you feeling halfway through this half term very very excited for christmas everyone has started christmas countdowns in all my classes so already yeah they're really in, really into it <laughs> that's intense yeah because I've, I've made them so good at math, they can just look at the date and work it out like that. Bingo. Yeah, <laughs> maths in action. Wow. How, okay. how about yours? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, Christmas hasn't quite registered. Um, <laughs> there has been some house singing, which are all Christmas songs. So I was walking around this morning and one group was doing Let It Snow. And then I walked into a different room and they were singing a different Christmas song. Um, but that was the first sign. So... Yeah, I am quite tired because it's that peak kind of run of three weeks and then three more weeks of Christmas. But um, yeah, good. And we have got some interesting stories today. Yes. And we're going to start with one that my mum felt the need to ring me this morning and tell me about. She was so shocked <laughs> at what was going on in South Korea. Yeah, um, yeah, I read this too. I think around the same time we'd um, both seen it. Me and your mum. Me and your mum. Sorry. <laughs> And yeah, this is that there is a national test. Um, it's an eight-hour marathon of back-to-back exams, which just firstly, to pause on that, we're probably going to dissect a lot of this, <laughs> but eight hours of back-to-back exams is just incredible to make any teenagers do, I think, firstly, as a... Well, it's longer than a normal spot. school day Yeah, for us, isn't it? Absolutely. And how can you possibly perform your best in, let's say, like, hour six? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I know everybody would be in the same boat because they would all be doing it at the same time. But that just seems to disrupt tons and tons of issues. What if you're someone who needs extra time as well? I don't think that's something they factor in. Okay. And yeah. I don't have any any mention of that, so perhaps it's just. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, that was a bit of a detour, but um, <laughs> it just re- it just really shocked me initially that that was even a thing that happened. And so it seems like this exam is something that everybody stops and does in mm. November so um, it seems to affect kind of the whole the whole nation really so you have um, everybody who is applying to university is going to take this exam um, and then it's going to take whether they can firstly go to university and then which university they can get into mm-hmm. and um, it also seems like shops, restaurants, banks and things. Yeah, it's closed. not just educa- the education sector that's affected. But it also says most construction work halts, planes are grounded and military training ceases. So I guess that means there's no loud bangs or engines whining to distract you. That's true. And it also says that loads of parents spend their day at the temple kind of praying or they're um, bringing you know, gifts to support their, their uh, children and that outside schools, people are kind of giving good luck snacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it just, it sounds like an intense time of year and an intense day. And it's kind of astonishing when I suppose a whole country stops for that. And it sounds like a lot of pressure. Mm, I think it's, but it's also the wider picture is actually scarier, isn't it? The fact that it all rests on this day, but it's been, they've been preparing for it since they were four 
years old yeah. that um it's all their education is towards it's not like you sit any other exam that counts towards anything this is the only one isn't it that's true so then you know what happens if that day doesn't work out for you well, you, you, just, re- you can keep retaking it though but how to, like you have to wait a whole other year to retake it again yeah kind of put your life on hold i guess it's very very high pressure isn't it mm-hmm. um and yeah it sounds like that sort of intensity and stress really builds to a peak for um students in south korea and there's kind of an interesting side industry so um there are these i guess like weekend and evening cram school called hack ones yeah Yeah. and it sounds like i mean i suppose like tutoring to the extreme but Mm -hmm. um where essentially it creates a really big divide between rich and poor because uh, those who can afford to send their kids to cram schools do and they're you know spending evenings and weekends for years and years just building 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 up to this one exam and an, an interesting thing about them seems to be that there are also some real like celebrity teachers who get paid so much. I think there are millionaire teachers who work at these cram schools. Oh my god! Yeah, it's kind of incredible that they have these. Yeah, they're basically people with the right reputations because so many parents will pay for their kids to go mm. to them. They can charge such high prices that they get more money than you know you might in an actual main school. And yeah. well, I think when you read about that and think about that, then an eight-hour exam doesn't seem too difficult. Like sitting and working for eight hours. So they speak in this article to a student. And two, and um, they say that they go to school at seven thirty and study before classes start at nine, uh, and then do school classes, eat dinner, and then go to a hagwon until midnight. So you're working like eighteen hour day. Yeah. So I guess maybe yeah maybe the day actually because of because culturally it's that's quite normal they're quite used to it but I can't imagine that being your life like mm-hmm. we have such a thing about stressed out students and. You know, it's amazing to be able to go and do all your different things that aren't your academics. Where do you have time for those if you're just cramming, cramming, cramming for your subjects and your exams? Um, and it seems like there's a professor who's quoted as saying that they think that it's one of the reasons why South Korea's birth rate is one of the lowest in the world because they, because parents have to pay such a high cost for their kids' education. It's such a, an important thing, including these kind of cram schools that they'd rather have small numbers of children that they can pay for their education and focus on them Uh, and it also seems like there's a really big competition for the top universities so a bit like harvard and yale or like oxford and cambridge here that it's all about those top ones for getting the top jobs just sounds a bit much to me basically (laughs) (laughs) i uh (laughs) we don't think that's something that should be like rolled out across the world an eight-hour exam no and i also worry because it's the kind of thing that you see that south korea has a very highly educated population they have a lot of university graduates um they have a lot of big technology companies and things so good jobs for people to go into and i worry that it's the kind of thing that other other governments look at an education system and go oh should we should do that and just cherry it yeah exactly but not thinking about the stressed out students maybe the fact at the expense of other things and actually can you just take something out of one culture when there's a whole wider society Mm. thing going on yeah yeah the country has the highest level of stress among young people in south korea aged 11 to 15 compared with any other industrialized country in the world according to the oecd yeah i mean and they've got the suicide is the number one cause of death for young people aged between 10 and 30 in south korea as well yeah, I mean, that's, that's just awful. And 
I think that you, you cannot help but see a link between very poor mental health on a national scale mm. and then those kind of those actions in the education system and and like you say it's not just the education system if, if a whole country kind of shuts down and mm-hmm. it's all about that and everyone's focused on it everyone knows how much it means then yeah maybe you have to question if it's if it's the right thing so mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm not on board with with people taking that off <laughs> although there's one student who is quite positive about her experience I imagine because okay. she passed first or passed first time and therefore feels good about it uh, her name's Jin Yong and she says I don't know if this is a thing, really. When I watch foreigners on YouTube trying to solve the questions from Sun Yuan, that's the name of the exam, they find it so hard. From the outside, I know it looks difficult, but it's not as scary as you might think. And then she says, instead of pitying us, I wish we foreigners would just think how awesome we are. Oh, well, now, see, yeah, I've totally been... Yeah, we're quite neg- looking at the quite negative side of it, but actually to sit an eight-hour exam and do well out of it means you're a pretty great student. Yes, in some ways, yes. It means, yeah, and it, yeah, you're right. I think it's something to be admired that they can do it and that they do do mm, it. But and they shouldn't should... probably be doing it. I think, yeah, I think that's a good distinction. So, yeah, it, it, I guess, yeah, I'm not be, trying to be dismissive. I do think that it's obviously amazing and the fact that a lot of students can achieve highly through it. It's just maybe should it be like that if some of the consequences are that you end up with a big division between rich and poor students and this huge amount of stress. So, yeah. Well done, but <laughs> we wish you didn't have to do it. Exactly, yeah. Empathy rather than pity. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so our second story is about uh, Finnish school, which has moved to open plan learning. And this is about 100 Finnish schools that have moved to this open plan concept. What do you think of open plan, Alice, as a school structure? Uh, I think from watching the video of what was going on in Finland, great, because the Finnish children are very well behaved from what I saw, very self-motivated. So when the teacher is saying, oh, we let them decide if they want to work in groups or if they want to come and listen to a teacher talking, but we trust them to go and work in their group by themselves. And there's very studious, they look quite young, I would say seven, eight year olds, sat on their iPads or playing with certain uh, games that's fine. Also, they've like designed the classroom to be like sound absorbent. Yes, because I think one of the initial things that you always think is, wouldn't it just be so noisy? Yeah, because even when children are talk, even just talking, not even shouting or misbehaving, just general chat is uh, quite disturbing. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks great. I mean, the soundtrack I think they put over the thing was very relaxing. So it just looks really nice. Like all the teachers, I think what it's meant to do is encourage cooperative teaching, which is great. Yes. And yeah, like but... support your colleagues around you rather than being shut in a room with the children and just you. So that's fab. But then I think about times when I've been in a class and I think, do I wish that this room were bigger and there were five times the number of children and it all going on? No. okay that sentence yeah (laughs) yes if you have the right student body it looks great and and i can see there are lots of benefits to it but well they tried it in the 70s in the uk it didn't work out i guess again it's one of those things that can sometimes make you think does that mean that some other government will say all right let's make loads of 
school's open plan, but it probably has to go with some sort of cultural shift, some sort of exactly. different attitude yeah. for teacher training. I do, I really like the idea of cooperative teaching. I do think that team teaching can be excellent. And when you have other people in the classroom and that space and you have planned together, you can give a lot more support to individuals. Mm. And then, and offer different things as well. Because when there's just one of you, you basically can like offer a limited number of things at a time and there's only, there's only what you have to put out sometimes so I do I really like the idea of the cooperative teaching I do question whether it works as with a lot of these things at secondary level because mm. I, I can't see it that doesn't mean it, it can't exist but um I don't know what it would look like because a lot of the time if if you really need subject experts and there's only so much that people can get from independence. Do, do you mix it up? I guess I'd be, I'd be really interested to see how it works in a secondary level. So if anyone, if anyone knows any schools out there that well, are doing it. I think, I think within this Finnish group, there are some secondary ones. Okay. But not, and not primary. But I think it benefits primary education because of that need of the children. I teach some year sixes at the moment to get up and move. Like they, if you teach them for too long, Maybe after about 45 minutes, they start standing up to work and like wiggling their bums a bit. And <laughs> when you're not used to teaching children that young, it's actually quite off-putting. Off or they want to get out of their seat and come up to you and share something. They really have that need to move. So that's great if you're in a classroom where they can just start moving around and go and do something else or move to a different group, which actually seemed quite dynamic what was going on in the Finnish classrooms. But yeah, at secondary level, I don't know how it would work. Yeah, I think there are, um, I know there's schools that have moved to more open plan learning in England, but I, my sense from learning about those or um, speaking to people is that that's much more for students to go and independently do things. Mm. So for example, where they have a study period or free time to go and work on group projects. I, yeah, it makes me question, how do you do it? I guess, yeah, I'm not adverse to it, I just just don't know. And I do fear the noise. <laughs> I like, worry that you'd be trying to do a really calm lesson. I was doing a, a lesson uh, yesterday and someone was playing Kahoot. Have you played Kahoot? What's Kahoot? It's a, it's a digital quiz, like an online mm. quiz thing, but you can, you can log in and respond, so you can play with your device. That's so you like put it up on the board and there'll be four options and you have to press your response but it includes how quickly you respond to. So it gets people very excited and the class next door were playing Kahoot. Obviously, when you're trying to teach, I don't know, changes of state in, uh, in like particle motion in quite a <laughs> traditional way, let's say, and everyone's like, can we play Kahoot? It doesn't go well. No. <laughs> yes, you, you've got that worry, haven't you, that they look over and they think, oh, but they're doing something so much more fun. Yeah. And then they are aware that that's going on, whereas really what you want them to think is everyone else is studiously doing yeah. an exam. <laughs> You'd have to make sure that your cooperative teaching, everyone knew what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> You'd have, yeah you weren't just going to uh, throw something in the mix. Yeah, but it's an, in- it's an interesting concept. And I think the big thing about trust is really interesting in the Finnish system because they are both trusting their teachers. So they said they're, um, that they're doing this as part of the fact that teachers have a curriculum but they can very much kind of run off their own backs and kind of decide what they're doing in what order themselves but also trusting the children Mm. and actually if that makes this kind of really positive environment with students and teachers able to kind of 
be independent and collaborative and decide what they want and have kind of autonomy, then that probably works in establishing that culture. So it's quite an interesting idea that trust in the kids can result in something really positive. Yeah. I think also going forward, it's the way thing it better suits teaching for like modern life with what they're trying to incorporate into the finished curriculum is more uh, like project work and more like digital based mm. activities so yes if you can that seems to be it seems to be better for group work this kind of setup and then also to go off and do your own independent research within a lesson rather than sitting in rows and just being told things which isn't how stuff's done in the world anymore and no, and I guess like office spaces are very like that now, mm. and you're exactly like a lot of work has Hot to desking, be, which is yeah. unpopular. That seems to be what every company is doing. <laughs> so true. Yes. So yeah, it sets you up for the world. And you're, I guess, you're right that things like we heard about in our last interview with the sustainable development goals, like what are we working towards collaboratively as a world? Well, that requires a skill set that needs students to be able to interact with each other and problem solve with each other. Mm. Oh, it just makes our, me think our system is so archaic in the UK. I've been having a lot of frustrated conversations with children this week about thinking about getting ready for our GCSE exams at the end of when they're 16. And the fact that now you don't get given any mathematical formulae in the in the exam, you have to remember them all by heart. And you just think that's not how things are anymore. And also to still have a non-calculator paper as well when everyone has access pretty much to a calculator in any job that they do. And just in their lives, walking around, mental maths is unfortunately like a thing of the past. <gasps> oh <know>. gosh! <laughs> and yeah, I t- I totally agree with you on the um kind of archaic nature of just having to recall because actually, what does that teach you? Like mm. we don't we don't live in a world where you have to fact recall or you can, you can find things out and you can have a moment to look or just yeah consider it. Um, I don't know if I'm archaic with the mental maths though. I like I like you know I like someone to know if they can if they can divide the bill by three or something. Yeah, but now when you go into a restaurant, they have a dual gadget that does it for you. It's like a wider conversation of what is the point of education. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a story which um, matches up quite well with the question we always ask in the podcast when we are interviewing uh, teachers from around the world, which is how is the profession of teaching viewed within your country. So I'm going to give you the top 10 run-up for teacher status. This is a result of some research done by the Varki Foundation, which is a kind of research foundation. Also the um, group that does the Global Teacher Prize, which we've talked about before, and research from the National Institute of Economic and Social Research in the UK. So. We have got number 10, Singapore, number 9, New Zealand, number 8, India, number 7, Turkey, number 6, South Korea, which is interesting, my earlier story. Well, we know there are celebrity teachers there, so it's very high status. That's true. (laughs) Education is so important Mm -hmm. that I guess clearly something must be in that with regards to teacher respect. Top five, we've got Indonesia, Russia, Taiwan, Malaysia and China at number one. There's a lot of East Asian countries in there. So it's quite interesting because I guess, what does it tell you? I think we always ask that question to interviewees, I think, particularly because I've always thought that that would tell me something about how good an education system is, maybe, or how mm. um, what a society is like. 
respect or how it's viewed doesn't necessarily mean great learning for students. I guess so. I guess it can, but it's not. It doesn't immediately mean that. I think it's very indicative of what the education system was like in that country 20 years ago, because I think a lot of it comes from parents. And if a parent has had a poor experience, so I think perhaps education in the 80s wasn't so great in the UK um, and people didn't have very positive experiences. And then that has filtered through to a very negative just approach from the media. And when you meet people on parents' evenings about a lot of things to do with schools, people are not positive. Um, and that has then influenced their children, whereas actually I think there's a lot of really positive things going on in schools at the moment, which apart from previously mentioned the silly exams with me. Yeah, that's quite interesting. So you think it's uh, actually kind of a retrospective survey almost? Yeah. Do you not think that parents take uh, will take into account their kids' education? Or do you think yeah, but I think so they're often so blinded by the fact that they had a terrible time at school. I think also it also informs if you become a teacher, doesn't it, what you experienced at school. So if you had inspirational teachers or really enjoyed your time at school, I think you're probably more likely to join the profession. And then you get a bigger pool of people becoming teachers anyway, and then it all starts to boost. That's true. How everyone views the system. They did ask whether they thought parents thought it was a desirable career for their own children, and I think that's that's a really interesting question mm. because. It really shows what someone thinks of education. Do they just want their kid to kind of get through and do well, but ultimately they're not, they don't, you know, really see it as valuable in society, um, which I would argue would probably have a, is, is a, has a big effect because if you don't value education, then what does that mean for your education system? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that in, in countries like China um, and India and Ghana, actually that lots of families would encourage their children to become teachers because they clearly believe in the value of education and, and that's a nice thing. It's nice when people think yeah. that, that your job's worthy, <laughs> that you do something important. Um, what do you think the international average um, percentage is for um, pupils respecting their teachers? So like, what percentage do you think internationally of pupils respect their teachers. Do you have the answer? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay. It's in the, it's in the article. It's, it's not okay. a chance, I just wanted. <laughs> um, what percentage of children respect their teachers? Mm. I would think it would be quite high. I would think it would be like 75%. International average, 36%. And China has 81%. That's why they're the top of the... Wow. That's in a survey of 35,000, which I think is what the number of people that were surveyed for this. That's astonishing. I mean, that just seems incredibly... I almost would have thought that respect, even if you don't like your teacher, <laughs> that a lot of the time children have respect. But maybe I'm just being kind of naive or mm. I've forgotten uh, where, like, an experience of being somewhere where you don't have much respect. But, yeah. Gosh, astonishing. On that note, we will end it. Thank you very much for listening. As always, please rate us on the app if you've enjoyed the podcast. You can rate us five stars. Yeah, five stars. That's the only option available. Yeah. Five stars or no, or just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and please get in touch on Twitter at edpassport, Instagram at educationpassport, or you can email us 
educationpassport.gmail.com and we have got a fantastic interview coming up this month. It's with a Scottish teacher with a real focus on mental health, both for students and staff. So I hope you'll enjoy it. Bye. Bye. Bye.